Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the J3U Podcast. I'm your host, John Jewett, and this is the Coach's Corner. We answer your questions, and today, I have Corey Hagen with, with me. IBB Bikini Pro, and Joseph's not here yet, so we're missing out with Joseph, but we'll get him back on the next next podcast for everybody. But Corey, how's it going for the week? It's going well. I'm in my first two weeks of clinicals with nursing school, so it's a good transition for me, but I mean, I'm really happy that I've been able to get training in consistently. That was, I was really nervous starting these first two weeks. Um, I, I feel like on the bodybuilding and like just the checking boxes side of things, I'm nailing it. And I mean, I feel like it's a good way to start this, uh, this next phase for me, but, um, I actually, I had a really, I don't know, a really exciting milestone with coaching. Um, I had one of my athletes get on stage this past weekend at her first show. And, um, yeah, that, that is always the, it's always a really fun experience to take someone through when it's, you know, their first time hitting the stage. Cause I mean, everyone's, everyone's experience is going to be different, but I mean, uh, Vanessa, she, she placed really well. She got first in her class. And, um, I, I mean, there were two classes. She got second in the overall. Um, but honestly, I think she held her own. I think the girl who got first, she looked really good. Um, and I think, honestly, like it feels really good to be able to walk her through that like peaking process. Um, you know, how we've talked about several times, how we, how I peaked this season where it's just like repeat, 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 and, you know, take those weights, take, take, um, you know, those little, little tiny changes and, um, bring your best to stage rather than trying to throw the kitchen sink, you know, at an athlete and be like, Oh, I hope this this works out. Was she local or is this um, another state or? She competed in Houston at the Alpha Land Summer Shredding. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. It was that a, what now, because a lot of times the most frustrating thing I'll say for coaching females is like, oh, by the way, show day, I have to get up to like 3 a.m. to get hair and makeup done. Was there anything like that? that made it harder decision-wise for what you were doing? No, we actually, we planned, we talked about hair and makeup, I think about a week out. Um, her original time was 6.30 and prejudging started at 4.30. So that was something I asked her, you know, hey, don't worry about bothering the makeup and hair artist. Like ask them, just like respectfully be like, hey, can we push this back? I really don't want to have to get up. 6 30 a.m and just like hang out with that um you know with the everything all done up and she was able to get it moved so I mean like it it ended up working out and um no she she all the the big things that I think kind of derail show day for our female athletes you know she slept great she had normal bowel movement so I mean like it was a real easy morning like no stress and um, I know like listeners probably like, that's random, but like truly that is one of the 
one of the biggest stressors I, I think for female athletes is like, oh, am I going to be able to use the bathroom? Cause we're doing all these crazy things when, you know, now I'm in a different environment. So, I mean, like, it's always nice when you can keep things just consistent and go in stress-free. <laughs> no, anyone that listens that's a competitor will totally understand what you're saying because I have clients that come like, I had a poop and they're like, uh, just like they already won their show. Basically. It's like, I already had the win this morning. I poop. So my waist will be as small as it needs to be on stage. You know, like feel, you haven't had that BM on, on show day. It's like you go out there a little bit more bloated. Um, but I think it's in favor of the way that we've been peaking because without all the extreme like water manipulations that are done or rapid changes in, across food where GI can get, get impacted or just as the competitor side, changing so many variables that they don't really feel like there's control and predictability on their end either. So there's like a stressor there. So it's a lot more to like throw off GI wise. I think doing it that way and how we're doing it reduces stress, still have fluids, still have consistent foods to where you're likely going to wake up and consistently have your normal bowel movement in the morning. Right. So totally get it. Any competitors are going to get it and not think you're weird. <laughs> I, I think, um, having those daily weights and those daily pictures, we started that at about three weeks out, about two and a half weeks out. And I wanted to, I wanted to teach her similar to how you taught me, Hey, like, this is how you're going to, this is how one day out from the show is going to look. You're going to have your last weight. You're going to know what weight you need to wake up at. And then we're going to make our decision process. Our whole decision process is going to be made around generally what we know to be your best. And it's not going to encompass like, okay, I need you to text me every 15 minutes. And, you know, it's not going to be this random thing I throw at you Friday before the show that you have to go get this food or I don't know, jump through these hoops, you know, we're, we're not doing any of that. So it was, um, it was really seamless and she handled it. Like, I mean, as a athlete, like she approached this really professionally uh, with a good attitude. And I, I don't want to like, I don't want to skip over that because that isn't the case. I, I know nerves can get the best of people. And yeah. when an athlete is able to be like, nope, I'm going to just, I'm going to do my best to control my emotions and like just execute and, you know, have fun with it and stay positive regardless of stressors. I think that's always, um, always for the better. Well, that's, that's awesome. Congratulations to both. Sounds like a good, good Thank week. you. Yeah. Yeah. In my world, uh, just working, nothing too exciting. Um, thing that stood out today is that I did train at Anytime Fitness, which why would I, why does that matter? <laughs> because it's like, it's, it's literally five minutes from my house. So we're trying to save time. It, Renee and I, let's just go check this out. Let's just to see, you know, and we have a, a badass gym in San Antonio, Muscle Factory, love it. The issue is that when traffic hits, man, it can take like 50 minutes out of my day and 50 minutes is another 50 minutes I could be working. So there's two sessions I think I can do there that will have zero limitations for, for my training. And so that's what I did. I went and did a push day at Anytime Fitness. And uh, it was nice just to like, not have to pack all this stuff and just drive back home and eat. So that, uh, that's, yeah. yeah. 
That's awesome. Is it a 24 hour anytime fitness? It is 24 hours. But yeah, I'm a, you know, as competitors, you're kind of like grandpa, grandma, like you go to bed early. So I'm never going to be <laughs> going, still training at 2 a.m., you know? Um, <laughs> um, but no, I like, yeah. yeah, I like the convenience of that, of having access to a gym that, that's that close and also just allows you to get in, be efficient. Um, you know, with our home gym setup, I mean, it is incredibly efficient. And right now for me, I, I do understand like any kind of additional commute or even, even just, um, it sounds so, it doesn't, it sounds so antisocial, but it's like being at the gym. I'm not, I'm not gonna um, not stop if someone comes up and says hi and wants to talk to me for a little bit. Um, it, and especially being at Gold's, like you people travel in. So like, I mean, it does happen frequently where people be like, hey, I, I've never got to meet you. I wanna, wanna talk. And like the right thing to do is stop. But obviously if you do that every single time, um, do that for every single person, it adds up. So I'm a big, big fan of like, you know, shaving off any time, extra time, especially commuting. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. No, I, I get that. Cause you got the gym, a couple conversations and it like lose your, your momentum and your pump. And it's, uh, at least here so far, I think I would be incognito and not be bothered. Um, but then I'm like, maybe it is more of a social, it's small. Like that's the thing at any time. Like, it's not like that. I, I think it, it'll help like um, just be able to get in and out. So I would like, <laughs> maybe you say that I was going to mention like your setup because um, yeah, you have a glute drive in like a dual cable uh, free motion system, like in your living room. So that's uh, how serious we all take this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Time, time, it's huge. But anyway, enough for us just chatting about anything. We'll, uh, we'll get to everyone's questions. So did you have one, Corey, that, you, that stood out that you wanted to hit first? Or... I, I really wanted to talk about the post-show one. Um, yeah, that, that one stood out to me. Um, yeah. There. Yeah, so that was the the situation that I think many people have fallen into. So your client binges post-show and gains a bunch of weight um, over like the course of two weeks. So they kind of gave like the scenario. Uh, what approach do you take for the next steps in their, their programming? So I, I think, I think the easy thing and in, in most people as coaches, their tendency is to want to be like, let me help you. Like, let me correct this, like, um, screw up. And I honestly think the right thing to do is to assess, you know, okay, regardless of why these things happened, you, you have to do what's in the client's best interest. And oftentimes that's not going to be to start a diet or a mini cut. Um, I'm not going to say never. There are people who I believe they can, um, they can have slip ups and they can overshoot body fat very quickly post-show, but there are a lot of individuals who struggle with this heavily and, um, they're not going to be in a position to diet 
right after um, their show. And as much as they're going to want to, like as a coach, you have to, I mean, you have to protect them from themselves. They're going to be like, yeah, I can, I can just get right back on the cardio. Just you get right back on it. I'll cut out all carbs. And depending on the individual, depending on why the, the why behind these binges, because also are they true binges or are they celebratory meals is, um, are they just, they just being a little looser, you know, um, if the client is in a position where maybe they can, uh, get back on plan that that's an option, but if they're consistently unable to adhere, even if, um, you know, their calories are within reason for where they should be, you know, in a surplus, you might have to raise them. You might have to put them in a position where it's like, Hey, we just, we got to string together some, some wins you know, some days of adherence. Um, and I, I would say simply put, get them back to being adherent, even if that is resulting in body fat or crewing a little quicker than what, what they'd like, or even on paper, what you, what you want, you know? How, how far do you go for pulling back from the plan? Like to make the plan successful, right? Cause a lot of plans given out are, here's your meal plan, right? Um, and that is really hard to be successful with post-show. So how far have yours, or would you even um, pull back to an extremely flexible plan? I, I think I think it depends on the individual. I think if someone can handle a little bit more rigidity, that's probably the best case scenario from a body fat accrual standpoint. I can say being pretty rigid myself this season, I was not going to be able to be adherent to a very rigid plan. And I think if your client is in that position where you know, like, this is just not going to be feasible, you, you, you should allow some flexibility, but again, you know, to the degree at which is not so much of a detriment. So, you know, like, I don't think I would ever encourage someone to go like have several meals out when like we're trying to correct a behavior, you know, just because there's so much room for error. And I feel like in a way you're kind of setting them up for failure, you know, um, but there are, there are ways to encourage flexibility without setting someone up to, I don't know, to overindulge in all these calorically dense foods. I, I think of like one instance I came into where even a very flexible plan was driving a ton of anxiety around being able to even, even adhere and to where it was just, and, and also like, like body weight scale, like forget that that wasn't even going to be able to be done either. It's simply like you said, trying to get someone to have some success and then letting that build from there. And with that type of psychology present, I think it's even getting away from, hey, we're a competitor. It's just like, we just need you mentally healthy. And we'll have to deal with the competitor physical part later because this is this is primary. You won't even have the competitor physical piece without this mental side sorted out. And, and the post-show period exposes that for a lot of people, even if you haven't seen it rear out as much as in prep. Um, but it was basically pulling it back for one person to just doing, hey, we have protein goals for meal and veggie goals. So with that in mind, it was like, hey, these will at least have some high sanity, be voluminous, 
And at least we're getting our protein. Like that's what we want to make sure we have. Like, and you, I want you to have five meals per day and then have carbohydrates and fats with those meals for, and, and go off hunger cues. And there's no failure beyond that. Like those are just the goals. Let's do that. And that was successful. And then it was like, well, do you think you can? And then we just, we'd have to build it up from there as, as like one strategy to be used. Was, it wasn't ideal, it wasn't optimal. That's not what I wanted to happen, but it's what needed to happen for that person. You know, I feel like, I, I know, I feel like that is the case for most of the clients that I, I, I work with who are post-show. Um, it is more of a rarity to have someone who can do things perfectly. And I say perfectly, it's not perfect in my book but it's perfect for their next prep that's that's not that's not the majority um and I think I think it's important as a coach to also to not let that discourage you not let that like like it, it's your job as a coach to to teach and to be able to show someone like hey I, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense like how we're going to get you to execute post-show better in the future but part of getting to that place is going through this and building in wins. The answer isn't to just restrict because typically that does re result in um, a cyclical issue. And uh, then, I mean, it, it never, I've never seen that play out the way people think it's, or people hope it's gonna play out. So um, I think, yeah, walking, walking it up appropriate to what the client needs. Um, yeah, it's, it's not optimal, but it's what you have to do. It's how you get that person out of that, that mindset, that, um, that state physiologically and eventually with body fat gain and, and with time, it, it does resolve, I think, for most people. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. And, and basically, because you have someone like, if they eat hard for two weeks, like they'll look like they haven't even got prep. They'll be back to like peak off season body fat levels with like no runway left for already for the off season. So it's like, what, what do you do? You're two weeks in, you have all the body fat, but also you haven't had enough time to restore all the hormonal aspects, get hunger signaling back to normalize. So it's getting them to as close to maintenance as possible to sit with that body fat and don't go, try not to go up anymore. Definitely not go down but you need to remove all those prep adaptations. And then once you do so, then we might be able to talk about, hey, like a fat loss phase, then gain runway into another off season from there. But definitely two weeks post-show, like you said, Gloria, is not the time to dig back down to fat loss because it, it's just not removing all the adaptations that are driving them to binge to begin with. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'll, I like steps because I love prepping with steps. So this question was how to progress steps and or cardio across a contest prep. So I know so, some people still only just base it on, on cardio and they are just completely out of mind about step count or why that even would matter. Of course, accounting for all your other daily activity is contributes a lot to your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is actually one of the biggest things that's gonna change on prep 
and one of the, your largest expenditures outside of your just basal metabolic rate. So um, when people are usually hitting fat loss stalls, a lot of times it's simply they're moving less, whether that's through like non-spontaneous, like how I just posturally sit in this chair and prep you then all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> you know, slouching down, trying to conserve energy or your step count will, you'll find more convenient ways to get around or roll around the office in your chair. So um, being able to track this, it, it really will expose for a, any issues from rising that you might think is a fat loss stall. Really, it's just you burning those calories. So it kind of demystifies this adaptations that are really occurring in prep. So if you're familiar, so this is why we should be tracking, of course, but how should we be progressing? And I have like kind of, I, I, well, I guess four, I guess four ways of like really driving the deficit on prep um, and keeping a baseline as well for, for these aspects. So I like a baseline of steps. You're going to move and walk throughout the day. So there should be a baseline already present. Um, I try to keep people eight to 10,000 per day generally. Um, and that's just like for health purposes, we see around that activity level, you have good outcomes for fitty, mortality, and a lot of people can stay on higher foods in the off season, helps with hunger, adherence, and that even carries into prep too. Um, then I also like a baseline of cardio for the majority of people, for the cardiovascular benefits and health benefits. So for a lot of people, that's three to four days per week. So we have this baseline that's present for output. When I move someone into prep, I usually like nutrition as the number one thing to drive a deficit because it's also the, the one I could create the largest deficit with. Because you actually look at cardio, like 10 minutes of cardio doesn't burn that many calories. Um, 2,000 steps, which is about a mile, doesn't burn that many calories either. Like for Corey, this might be like 70 calories. For me, it's like, you know, 100 calories, which um, it takes a while to walk a mile. So it's not but not a large swing in, the, in knocking off calories. So nutrition is still like the number one, but from there um, I go between steps and cardio together. And it, it really just depends on what's going to be the least fatiguing aspect for the individual and um, time considerations too. So um, steps is nice because we're trying to create the, the, the deficit for someone with the most ease possible. So creating the, the least amount of fatigue and you walk around all day, it's, it's not a, a stimulus to cause any type of adaptations that would impede your resistance training. So you, it could still uphold your training performance really well. And it's just not very fatiguing. So if I can move steps up, that's one aspect that I'll, I'll do is kind of a, a secondary thing to create the deficit. And then cardio will be in place as we're running out of, of time uh, with doing steps. So I might add in 2,000 steps per day for people as, as like a starting point, which I can calculate the calories off it, which 70 to 100 calories. And um, is that something that is going to meet what I need for them for the week for fat loss? If not, do I need to push up more cardio or pull it more from food? Um, at some point, I usually would max someone out 15 to 20,000 steps per day. That's... 20,000, it's really up there. And usually those are the individuals that already have a very active job to begin with. And so building upon their baseline, it could get up to that. Um, going beyond that, it's usually issues around time. And uh, that's the problem. And you're having to shift some more into cardio. 
But I would say keeping the baseline cardio there from the front end of prep and not adding it in like, oh, we'll only use steps. We won't use cardio. It's a problem when you're deep in a prep, you're fatigued, and then you try to have someone like jump on the Stairmaster at a high effort level. It's really, really more, more challenging when you don't have those, at least some of the adaptations to moderate effort cardio already present. So, so part of that baseline is having some adaptations so it won't be as fatiguing. And people are able to stay a little bit more metabolically flexible with it. So they can switch using uh, fatty acids from carbohydrate really well. And you don't have that kind of lag time when you do start prep with someone. So that's in general how I would progress it across prep. That was a great explanation and like very simple breakdown, I think, for individuals who aren't familiar with, with how to utilize steps in combination with cardio. Um, but I, I'm really glad you mentioned that point around like it, it shouldn't be like one or the other. Um, I think steps have to be accounted for. Like you, you need to know as a coach, you need to know what the activity baseline is. Um, I have someone I just brought on who she works um, and she's on her feet the entire day, her whole shift. So her baseline is like 18 to 22,000. So this is a big consideration for her when we're not in season. And um, it's something that if not considered, could easily dig that client into a hole where in order to create the depths that she really needs during prep, um, we're, we're going to have to be very deliberate with how we escalate cardio because her steps at this point, I would say are at, at the max threshold for where I'd want really any client to be. I, I don't really see a lot of return escalating her steps, for instance. And um, even in off season, we need to be, I want, I need to be mindful that like, Hey, we're not um, overlooking how, what her intake is with how active she is, even if cardio is completely um, decreased, even if we have, you know, some, you know, like a very minimal amount in daily, I still need to recognize she's on her feet. She is moving the entire day. So I think, I think you can learn a lot by knowing your activity and understanding, you know, what normal is for you. Um, I also think some, some, um, something I like to do with clients is plug in, um, some cardio. And, and again, this is not like, this is not stairs. Usually it's usually incline walking at like zero, which is not incline or 5%. So very minimal. Um, and <laughs> plugging it in like, Hey, five minutes, when you get to the gym, do five minutes before you start training, warm up those count as, as steps. Like I'm even okay. Like in some instances, if we need to count it as your cardio, if that's what your modality is for your weekly total of structured cardio, that's fine. Okay. We need to increase, let's go to seven and a half minutes. And then we're not doing anything post-workout. Maybe we throw in five to 10 minutes there. I don't really like to tag on cardio to a lifting session, but I think, you know, plugging it in, especially for those very petite females, you know, um, those athletes who we really got to dig and find ways to create that deficit. Um, I feel like that's, I don't know, that's a, a been a successful way um, that I found to escalate it. That client you meant, well, she, for one, she's definitely like the anomaly of the outlier for people we work with. Like I, I have some guys that work kind of floor jobs that that high step count and to, to, to match the food intake to that in the off season, 
man, it's a challenge. That's, that becomes the bottleneck to where it's like, for that individual, I almost don't have cardio present um, or it's just one or two days because otherwise we're just, what we're, we're, we're putting in cardio to just like have to eat more. And that's uh, what's holding them back. But is her food really, really high in importance to that? Or is she just um, also have the other <laughs> part of it where she doesn't have a lot of metabolism there? She is a newer client. So we actually, mm-hmm. we're, we're on our second week, brand um, new. And she just competed too. So she's like two weeks post-show and um, I don't believe she was eating enough to accommodate for her output because she was at that step count pretty much the entire prep as well as hours of cardio. So she was like getting up at 3 a.m., getting her lift in, working for 12 hours, then going and doing another like long session of cardio. And her intake was very very sad like it was very low um it wasn't even in the realm of like what would make sense so um there's some there's some changes i I think that can be made for her next prep which i I think she'll be doing junior usas so i won't be won't be um a longer off season but i think honestly we i think we can structure her cardio a lot better considering how much she's doing on a daily basis um it's interesting. It's always interesting to hear like when people are like, I, I wasn't able to get, get in shape. I wasn't able to um, nail the conditioning yet their activity is crazy high, which that was, that was me. I mean, like yeah. my conditioning subpar steps were 25,000. How, like, how does that happen? Like, so um, yeah, I, I think, I think both steps and cardio, they can be, they can be good tools, but um, there's definitely thresholds for how high you want to push someone um, on both ends. Yeah, I I did a live stream and uh, someone had asked about this this sleep study that I talked about on JTU and, and don't worry, I'm going to bring this back to our steps. Uh, but basically, it was like these overweight females. They put them in calorie deficits uh, for. Uh, I believe it was seven weeks. I'd have to look back at it, but um, one group slept like eight hours a night. The other one, they lowered to five and a half hours and the uh, sleep deprivation group, they lost like 60% less body fat. And I think it was like 50% more muscle mass. Um, so they're, but the, they both lost the same amount of weight, right? So the, the partitioning effect was like much different for these groups. Um, but I think even with, competitors we eventually have those clients where body fat's just not not, like scale weight's not even moving anymore right like they can retain muscle because a lot of them are enhanced so it i I see that's what i see at least like muscles retained but then uh cortisol gets so high that it actually truly seems to stagnate fat loss um unless you like really drop fatigue and see like water drop off and exposes but most of the time it does it like it people just get worse and they don't get contest lean so they're actually for that reason what i'm saying is like sleep absolutely drives fatigue but so does excessive cardio to a point where it doesn't make sense like there should be a deficit here like we absolutely should be losing fat and getting getting stage lean but you don't um because you're just completely overtrained by that point. and i think that's a great indication if that's if that's you or that's a client that's typically a good indi- uh, your indication that like hey the planning um 
it's not optimal. Like how you approached driving this deficit over the several months, you know, that that's, that's really interesting though, just how the, it's really interesting, just the impact of sleep and how that can, how that can affect fat loss. But then, I mean, the training, how, how poor sleep will affect um, an individual's training and, and recovery. Like it really doesn't matter how much work you're doing. If you're not recovering, like you're, you're, it's just so inefficient. So, I mean, I don't know. Just the biggest thing, like to getting, like actually hearing like my best condition was, and and for you too, it's been managing fatigue and creating an easy deficit, quote unquote, easy deficit, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. A piece of the cardio that uh, people might find interesting, at least, is uh, for, and maybe it's not just for larger bodybuilder individuals, but um, I, I will say like, getting heavier, uh, incline treadmill walking was like beating me to death. Um, hips were hurting, like lower back, just, just old, I guess. And I still do eight to 10,000 steps per day. So that on top of cardio, like now that I'm like around 250 was prob- problematic. So I've been doing like hit this off season and been able to do it consistently without any issues and doing it on a spin bike which sounds terrible as well, but uh, it's like low volume. So I just do 15 minutes, four sets of one minute, and then just have like an active like rest period, just a light spinning. But um, there was some good data on low volume hit, like giving you cardiovascular adaptations, but also being um, a low calorie expenditure. So if you're like on high food, you can still get all the cardio benefits doing something like that but without having to eat a ton of food and make up for it, like if you're doing a 30 minute hit session or some steady state 45 minute session. So, so that on the spin bike for me has not been beating me up. Get a crazy good quad pump though, which is just, it's, a, it's insanity of a quad pump, but it goes away in like an hour and like I'm totally good trained. So I'm doing that three days a week. I, I think I remember when you first posted about that, because it was right after I was finishing up my season. And I was like, man, that, that sounds very appealing. Not that my cardio was high. It really wasn't. But I was like, that could be a tool that I utilize moving forward, just because I, I didn't switch modalities ever. Um, I was always doing inclined treadmill and my incline was pretty ridiculous. Yes. But like, I, I think, um, I think it's something, the low volume hit is definitely something I want to utilize um, for myself uh, currently in off season, but um, even for, for future preps, future mini cuts, I, I think it could have application, especially with what you're talking about for individuals who, um, who are getting beat up and, and just are not able to recover from the incline. Um, I can see if that's impacting training, like, I mean, let's, let's try something that, um, is is not taking away from that performance yeah like trying to hit like i've done on the stairmaster and that can be pretty intense like it's a lot of pounding right especially like if you have you're heavier and you're also training as as much as even bikini or wellness would train for legs uh or the incline treadmill like i was going to where it was like 15 percent incline and i was getting into like 4.2 4.3 miles per hour like that was near jogging I'm like I can't just start jogging, keep the effort up here for this hit interval. So that's when I was like, that's when I got beat up. So then I, I jumped to the spin bike and it's, it's been um, 
working well. And, and, and just to give you an idea, like I do, you could base it off heart rate. Like it, as long as you got to like 80 to 90% of your max heart rate, but I just do like 80% effort, like an RPE, um, like mm -hmm. eight out of 10. That's how I think of it when I'm doing the sprint interval. So it's like just an e easy way to program it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, for, but don't only think that I'm going like hundred percent, like all out <laughs> on the sprint, you know? I, I did I did a couple of these sessions. I mean, it, it was a couple months ago on the Stairmaster. And I was that was a question actually I, I never asked you um about the impact, just uh the the pounding. And it wasn't it wasn't an issue for me necessarily because I was trying to be mindful of my knees, but I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you your thoughts on like if you if you felt like that was still appropriate depending on the individual, depending on like, you know, just how how taxing that actually is. Um, but I, I think yeah, I think even like scaling it, like on an RPE of like, hey, if you're if you're hitting 170 on your heart rate, like regardless of body weight, that is hard. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, I, and that's where it comes in. Like the low volume, the duration is what we're talking about is low. So it doesn't have a lot of that fatigue carryover. Like if you were to do that for 30 minutes, like, oh, you'd be wrecked, right? For who knows how long, at least I would be. So I think, yeah, it's the duration. Um, but also how, how it sits around the rest of your training sessions too. Because if you're training legs three days a week, like that could be impactful. Like where do you even put it? Um, but I think if it's short duration, it's probably not an issue. Then also body weight would, would make a difference. Like, and part really why we see like females have a little bit better recovery for a number of reasons, but also just being lighter body weight individuals, like we're going to be able to, to, to do that without as much fatigue generation Versus me, like 250, trying to like sprint off on this thing, like it could tear me, tear me up. So, yeah. Um, but even then, like you, you could change modalities between the week too. Like you could do a rower or like battle ropes or something. Like if you want, like uh, especially like wellness where you're like upper body, you don't need some massive upper body. Just ha have some type of upper body cardio modality that you do. Would you say 15 minutes is the cutoff on on like? the high end of how you would you would classify low volume hit the the research study that broke this whole down low volume high volume hit they had siit which was sprint interval training um so that's how they differentiate it and then moderate intensity the the cutoff in all these studies is 15 minutes that's how they they were classifying it so all, all the benefits were there um and and without a lot of the fatigue being present. Um, so yeah, that's just how like the literature classifies it. We can classify it however we want, Corey. We call it 10 minutes, 20 minutes. <laughs> so, but, but in general, I think like to get the benefits, uh, three days per week, less than like right around 15 minutes for interval sessions um, off, the, off the research ha had like really good heart health benefits to it, so. Yeah, that that's interesting. I want to I want to dive I want to dive a little deeper in there. I might might need to start incorporating that with my uh, my change in schedule. I feel like that has a place with uh, with nursing and just like being able to plug some cardio in without it being like an hour of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, any <laughs> any time is uh, is time I'll take. So. <laughs> and, I, and what I so here's the thing back of steps. What do I do with steps on those offseason days? Because I was. I had my step count at 10,000 and that was including 
um, 25 minutes of treadmill cardio, just incline. And so um, now I'll just, since I'm doing the intervals for 15 minutes, I just pull off 1500 uh, steps because that's about what I get if I walk for 15 minutes. Give it that the, the biking is much more intense, but again, it's just um, getting, uh, getting it standardized and then assessing from there. Um, output. So yeah. that, that makes sense. I would, I think I would do the same. I would just subtract it. Um, I have a, I have a girl who really, really likes um, doing Metcons and she's like, can we keep this in my program? And I have it similarly like equated, like, Hey, if you're going to, you can do this and let's like monitor how it's impacting training. But if you're doing something that high intensity, let's try to make it to where you're not doing this on top of your structured cardio on top of your step count let's let's equate it so that it's it's you're just not piling up um i feel like it's easy and then you know that goes back to what we were saying before about like digging yourself in just a giant energy output uh hole that that then results in like a stall in fat loss somehow <laughs> I, I know they want us to answer more questions probably but this is a good topic because uh, it, it brings up the other point of like cardio efficient, like efficiency installing based on someone adapting to cardio. So when you do like prescribe cardio to your clients, are you giving them exact, hey, I want this this incline and this speed? Do you give them a heart rate range? Do you give them a calorie target to hit for the session? Um, yeah. I I don't give calorie targets. Um, I typically give the weekly total. Um, I'm a really big fan of actually just like building that, building out that autonomy. And this is something um, for some clients I will continue to do during prep. Maybe I'll give um, more regimen to when I want them to do it. For other clients, I, I do want them to get in the habit of plugging in their cardio where it makes the most sense. So it will be, hey, structured on their initial, you know, getting started doc. Hey, here are the modalities that we agree are acceptable. And for some people, they're like, hey, I, I, I really enjoy doing Stairmaster. I know, you know, yes, it might impact training performance. It does burn more calories. Can we keep it in? And I, I'm a big fan of making the cardio, the, the whole program design, it's got to be something the client enjoys doing. So if they have a preference, you know, obviously we're going to take that heavily into consideration. Um, as far as days and times and, and exact incline heart rate targets, I, I usually give a heart rate target, like a minimum threshold. Um, again, depending, depending on the client, um, I, I, I try to keep them around 130. Some clients I've said like, hey, hit around 130 to 145. And they're like, okay, this is mentally messing with me. I feel like I need to be like at 150. In some cases, okay, it's it's fine. Um, but we also want to keep track of how well that individual is recovering if um, frequently they are working in such a higher range on the heart rate. Um, most people say 130 to 140. But if we start to notice that like, hey, that individual, they start to report, um, they don't feel like they're getting a lot out of their cardio, you know, maybe, maybe I'll challenge and be like, hey, can you make it like 140, 145 this week? If you're not um, getting a lot out of this modality, I just this week, I had a girl um, 
she has, you know, Hey, I'm not sweating when I do cardio. Is that a problem? I feel like I'm just not getting a lot out of it. And I challenged her. I said, Hey, let's switch to Stairmaster. Let's just see if like mentally it feels like you're exerting more effort because weight had been seeming to stall. And um, I, I think part of, part of the issue at, at hand with this client specifically, I, I think, I don't think she, um, was used to doing inclined treadmill. I, I don't think the output was nearly as high as what she was used to doing on the Stairmaster. Um, so it, it, it seems like moving forward, she's gonna, she's gonna do better. Um, her cardio is gonna be more effective doing a modality that allows her to exert more effort. Um, now actually giving people like, hey, do this pre-workout, post-workout, do this on these days. I, I do like to have more control there, um, especially for clients who are needing to bring up body parts. Um, I really don't want any clients like doing 20, 30 minutes of cardio before their weightlifting session. But if you don't tell a client that, they might do it and think, hey, this is okay. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. So um, usually I'll prescribe, you know, hey, here are your separate sessions. If you want to do them fasted or you want to do them PM, that's completely fine. I just don't want them tagged onto training. Um, even post-workout, if you want to do a little cardio, if you want to do 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, that's okay. Um, I don't want someone spending two hours lifting than doing an hour of cardio. That to me, I just, I really feel like it, it's just not a good use of the time. And uh, from a from an energy balance standpoint, I, I just feel like if, if that's what has to happen for the person to get in that cardio, we probably need to create the deficit in a different way. Um, I, I like that total cardio goal because <clears throat> it, it kind of like applies just your daily calorie goal idea or meeting your macros. Like that's really the big picture. Um, of course, we get really nuanced down to like timing, like meal timing just like cardio timing, but the big picture is you need to be able to hit the total goal for the week. And obviously, if like you give someone 100 minutes a week and they're like, well, I'll do it all in one day, it's like, uh, you probably break it down, right? Like, this is our total cardio goal for the week. Here's what might be the optimal approach and lay that out so they could, for those that can execute it, because I have, funny mission, I have a guy that was on prep you know, and uh, he's a nurse, right? So his schedule really changes. And he's like, man, I, this extra 15 minutes of cardio, like I cannot do it this day. Could I move it to the next day and do a little bit more? He's like, that's much easier in my schedule. I'm like, yeah, easy. Like that's, that's the type of what, you know, Corey's talking about here. It's like these little shifts are perfect to manage fatigue because that's what it gets down to. Because otherwise this guy might be up later once he get off work, less sleep, more fatigue for that day which makes him dig a hole for the next day. So it's like managing in that aspect. Um, I, I do also like using the heart rate ranges. So I think it's um, a, a little bit presumptive to just give someone a modality and a, a certain pace and intensity with not being able to see what that effort looks like uh, because it could be, I've, I've prepped people where I find out like, the heart rate's like at a hundred on their cardio. I'm like, oh no, like no wonder your food's so low. Uh, we need to crank that up. So you don't know how someone, you know, they respond to cardio too. You might need to get them up to the higher effort level. So 
pushing that, making sure that heart rate at least gets like usually 60 to 70% of max heart rate is a good spot where we could, we could call that moderate intensity where there's a balance between not like generating a ton of fatigue, being able to sustain this for a good duration of time, but also not too easy to where we're just not time efficient either. There's a balance all within it. Remember, for bodybuilding purposes, we're just trying to create um, the, the, the easiest way to make a deficit. So that's, uh, I think, the middle ground, some, something like that of a heart rate range to work within. That way, if they do change modalities, they still have the effort level to work, work within. Um, and we don't just give them you know, set uh, intensity to, to go for as far as like the machine. Um, and because someone asked me about setting calories for a client, like, and that's kind of like, I don't trust a lot of calorie calculating machines or like what they enter for it. Um, and then it's not also figuring in like what their adaptations are and their heart rate. So um, I, that's why I just wouldn't use the calorie goal. And also, People ask me about like the Apple watches for calorie metrics. And if you look at the studies on like the Fitbits and stuff, like those are vastly off for the day for calorie output. So I would not go off those at all. Um, do you have your clients wear like a heart rate strap or get something like that to do it? Are you go off machines or? No, no. So, you know, I, I actually asked Patrick this last night, how many, um, <laughs> how many nurses he works with who wear Apple watches because there's a high step count there. And I was, I was yeah. explaining to him like how the amount of clients I have, I think in the past six months, I've only had two clients who have not had an Apple watch or some kind of tracking device, uh, whether that be a Fitbit, but for those clients specifically, um, I don't, I, I really don't want to presume like that's not going to be something I like say you have to go buy an Apple watch or even a Fitbit for that matter I'm like I feel bad like put that yeah so um there's a company called wise w-y-z-e who makes like a knockoff Apple watch that actually does it tracks your steps I think it does a couple other things maybe tracks your sleep it's like 40 bucks from Amazon um that's what I've been referencing clients to go um, get if they do not have something that tracks their step count, if they want something, if they want something, but they want to find a middle ground between like an, a, an Apple Watch, Fitbit, something that's more affordable. Um, for heart rate, I, oh, sorry, um, on the step count for some clients, they're, they, they are really bad with putting their watch or their device on. And I actually tell them like, hey, you your health app on your iPhone will track mm. your, your steps. And again, that's not something I want to say. I'm going to presume every client has an iPhone, but I mean, there, there are definitely ways that we can go about trying to track these things. Um, even if someone doesn't have a super, super fancy tracking device. Now for tracking heart rate, that's not something I think I've really run into. Um, it's I I didn't realize how many clients actually like show up and they're like nope I got the Apple Watch like I'm good but typically I will use something like that to um to track those sessions and if we have to really break it down you know they forget their watch or their device um, the range at which I want them in I want them to struggle keeping up a conversation so if they were walking with a friend or on a treadmill next to a friend, they should have some difficulty talking to them at this pace. They should be out of breath and have to like kind of suck in a lot of air 
to maintain that conversation. Um, forget who who said that, but it, it was, um, I feel like it was like Lane Norton, who was like, that's generally around the heart rate range that um, that puts someone in that 120 to 130 range. Um, whereas if you're able to keep up a leisurely conversation, you're, you're under that, even if you are briskly walking, even if you're, you know, taking a stroll outside. So sometimes I'll use um, those kind of, I don't know, references um, just to cue clients. If, if they're like, Hey, I, I'm not going to be able to consistently wear this or I'm just bad at remembering to put it on or start it when I get on to do cardio. Um, but yeah. 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 I think you use the heart rate ranges off of those. I'm, I know there's going to be some variants using it off the off the wrist. Um, I would probably still be better to standardize it than use like it off different machines. I've seen some machines where I grab on like this is way way off. So, um, and you know, for people that like when I do when I train, right? So I wear like straps or wrist wraps when doing push sessions and. I just attach it to my shoelaces and walk around the gym with it. So I, I just take it off my wrist and throw on my shoe and it still tracks steps. Dang, that, that's really smart. I always, I don't do a lot of movements with, uh, with wrist straps, but when I do, I always toss it in my bag. I've never thought to just put it on my, my shoe. I should totally do that. Yeah, yeah. It's when you get really anal about wanting to make sure you count every step, every step counts. It's like at the grocery store, like you're hanging on to the cart, right? Um, I'll like push the cart with one hand. So I make sure I count my steps. Uh, yeah. Oh, dang. You've surpassed me in, in my, <laughs> uh, my level of OCD. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's a good tip. I like that. Well, do you want to try to tackle one more question? Yes, I think... We can do, I mean, it kind of goes in, in line with what we've been talking about or, or do you, of the last two, which, which one do you want to do? Uh, probably, I'm thinking the last one, the holding phase. I think, I think like something about training, oh, that, that could be a whole podcast on, on itself. I like it though. If it was really specific, we, if we could hone in, we could do it. But I think the holding phase would be a good one. So um, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So should a holding phase be done in the off season prior to a mini cut? And to give you the briefest content for context for this, <clears throat> um, well, I guess this is your question. I already did one. Do you want to start? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so your holding phase, I mean, like, I, I really think where, where this occurs in an off season, I think, again, it, it's not as black and white as people probably want it to be. Um, I've had, I've seen instances where I do think it makes sense. You know, once someone has been consistently gaining and not struggling to gain, um, I think, I think just sitting, sitting in a, um, sitting at an intake at a body composition for a few weeks for a few weeks um, before starting a true fat loss phase, I think it serves a serves a purpose, especially for those clients who do struggle to keep that weight on, which 
I would say majority of my clients right now who are going through structured off seasons, we're being very deliberate with escalating their food. Um, so some weeks, you know, we'll escalate it and their weight will go down. So we know we need to push a little bit more. For these clients specifically, I do think the holding phase needs to come before the mini cut. Um, yes, I, I get why, you know, mini cut does need to take place. But before that, well, I mean, why, why are we um, hitting these new body weight, body weight points, uh, milestones for many people just to strip it off? I mean, I, I would rather see someone be able to sit at a weight um, and know whether the increase in, in scale weight is, is truly tissue um, or, or if, if it's not, okay, how, how, long, how high do we need to get food before we see that weight stick? Because I mean, gosh, with female athletes, there is a lot that muddies those scale weights. And even with taking weekly averages and daily weights and body weight highs and lows, I mean, like I got my clients, like we're, we're trying to make sense of what's going on with their body weight every week, but there's still a lot that, that can skew what that actually looks like in terms of a trend. Um, I, I think in terms of putting on tissue, it's just another way to, to be, certain that it that it's tissue and that it's not um another variable that's masking um or, or causing you to think yeah you know scale weight's moving in the right direction so i know the mini cut like yes there's a point where body fat's too high and we need to switch gears temporarily i would really caution people to 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 really pause and and make sure it's the right next move before just doing it before just saying okay let's go let's go back into the fat loss phase i think that's most people's tendencies though right yeah it's um could be emotionally driven a bit uh, when your body fat comes on you're like oh let's cut it off so you don't actually sit long enough in the off season phase if that's it's always it's always needs based like when we make these decisions of what phase should be moving into and how long you should be even implementing that. And, and other, you know, I have a whole podcast on the holding phase. Some people call them primer phases. Some people call them maintenance phases. Um, but it's just whatever the phase is needs based for the individual. And a lot of times what you occur at the end of an off season phase that you've strung together is it can be quite a high amount of fatigue. Um, you've been training with increasing volume, load reps across this. Usually by the end of a mass phase like that, you can be a little bit beat up. Um, if you're an enhanced lifter, likely you've had PDs involved. Maybe you've been at like peak dosages. Um, hunger could be impacted as well. Health markers could be impacted. So you have a few things there that might be the rationale of what direction you need to head. And if you're someone that has, you feel beat up from, you've been like massing forever from training um, or you run PDs and health markers are in, in, in system, systemic stress is high. To jump into a fat loss phase doesn't resolve any of those issues for that person. Um, you're not gonna be the best at repairing connective tissue and joints. When you're moving in a fat loss phase, we still need some volume present at a higher amount to hold tissue. Um, or if you're running PDs and health markers are ranged, you don't want to be pulling all the way back down to TRT baseline 
we need a little bit more present there when you move into a calorie deficit. So sometimes there's a rationale to have this transition period to that, that resolves whatever that client needs before doing the fat loss phase. Now there is like an idea or maybe it's a question is, could there be some like delayed hypertrophy that occurs? Uh, could you cement the gains, you know, per se? Is that a thing? Uh, is holding a body weight before moving back down, will that make the new muscle stick more? And, and that is the real question. That's just still kind of a question mark because um, I, I was listening to another podcast and, and you kind of made it say like, you know, the off-season peak weight, it's kind of artificially inflated, right? So you're like high in food. For enhanced lifters, you're like drugs are higher. So you like have this higher water weight retention that's kind of present, higher GI weight that's present. When you shift that down into a deficit, a lot of that drops off pretty quick. So you might drop like 10 pounds quick if you're a big guy. You're like, oh man, my weight didn't stick from this peak mass phase. And it's like, that probably wasn't it. It was just a little artificially inflated. That doesn't mean if you stuck at that body weight that it, it would be more resilient from dropping off. It was just weight that's gonna be dropping off no matter what. Um, now, I think it was Cody Hahn has put out some studies on you know, sarcoplasmic hypertrophy and this process that occurs to actually see contractile tissue increases and that it is not like one week process. Um, and could there be a delay in hypertrophy that occurs? And there's been a little bit of literature that maybe so, but I think if we look in context of what that was, that, that, that maybe it doesn't really matter too much, but hey, if, if it's like, a week or two of off-season transition um, before going into a mass phase, I think that might check that box enough uh, if that's a concern. Like, hey, I want to make sure this muscle really sticks. Um, I think it would at least make sense. Like you deload, you hold the body weight for one, two weeks, then you move into a fat loss phase. So it doesn't have to be a long phase, but there could be some rationale for, for at least having something there. You know? Right. I, I think... And what I'm kind of hearing um, is that there is a lot, regardless of fat loss phase or massing phase that is occurring. And usually most clients have, have something that they're rightfully complaining about, whether that be the fatigue, sleep, food, um, fluctuations in, in regularity with GI. So that holding phase for me, I think for me, for clients, I feel like it's a good opportunity to pause before we move into either the intentional phase of fat loss or intentional phase of, of growth. And it allows us to be like, okay, is there anything that we need to clean up real quickly? Is there, and it, like you said, it doesn't have to be very long, but is there anything that's worth addressing? And maybe that is in the form of a deload. Maybe that's, you know, Hey, I, I know this week, or I know the next couple of weeks, you've got family coming into town, or you've got things going on in your personal life before we commit to this next phase, whatever the intention is, let's just set you up for that phase to be executed better, executed to the best of the, their, the client's ability. That's a hard one for the type A person to swallow. That the, the, that's why in J3, I didn't even call it a maintenance phase because it sounds like you're not taking steps forward. 
Um, and, and people would say, is that optimal, John? I always need to be like moving forward, whether it's fat loss is coming off or muscles going on, there's nothing in between. And as I keep progressing, there's more and more of these phases then that I think I just, a lot of people would have better longevity if they just had some time that they brought it down to maintenance. And what I even found out, like, I would usually train myself into forcing a maintenance phase where I'm so beat up, it takes weeks to get, or I'm just working around it. It's just not optimal. Like, it probably would have kept me healthier training wise to have more of these type of phases present. And you're right, like life happens for a lot of people. They're gonna have times where they won't be optimal to be building muscle or losing body fat. And it's maintenance is the best that they can do. So that's the time you, you program that in. And the times where it's more optimal, you program in fat loss phases and, and growth phases, right? So, but I think for a lot of people they are like, no, no, I don't need to need that. I just need to only grow or only lose body fat. Um, and that's just not the reality of how it plays out when you actually try to do that. Because you, you will force yourself into deloads and maintenance phases. And I mean, like you've, you've hit on, you've hit on the training aspect of it, but even the dietary fatigue that accumulates um, or the, the massing fatigue of like constantly having to just to be uncomfortable. You know, I, I think that holding phase is really good for the psychology of that individual, um, even to set them up for that push for that mini cut, you know, because I tend to see people are very, there's an urgency with wanting to do that fat loss phase to feel more comfortable. But when it comes to actually executing you, you know, you're flipping the switch, like you're going from getting to eat so much food and not having to do, you know, hopefully much cardio at all to then, okay, now we're going into a mini cut. So things are going to change. And, and typically for most people, they, they're, they're thinking, you know, grass will be greener. It'll be easy. I'll be able to execute like that. There'll be no issues, but like what I see is like most people do need some kind of period in between to, to transition. And like, I think it's in their best interest to give them that, uh, to build that in. Um, but yeah, no, I think you, I think we recovered some like really good points, um, that are outside just like the black and white of like, is this optimal? And like, will this result in like the, <laughs> the best timeline? It's like, it's, there's so much gray in between that. Right. Yeah. just just like, goes back to like, what does the person need? I've had people even now that are like off season massing and they're, they're ones that have a hard time getting the, the food volume needed in to progress to the point of like, it's psychological burnout. Like they have body fat runway still, like they could gain more weight. Lifts are progressing still. Like the bottleneck for them in off season is the food volume to the point of like, I can't wait to start prep. Like how many people have been there? Like I cannot wait to start prep and eat less food, feel, remember what hungry feels like again. Um, I, I know a lot for a lot of females, that's like not even ever the case, but for, uh, for some, yeah, for some it is. So for, for those individuals, just pulling back to maintenance, which could be a large food drop. Now they're going to lose some weight just from the food drop. A lot of it's going to be GI water weight and even just not being as kind of glycogen spilt overloaded in a, in a sense. So there'll be some of that drop off, but just moving them back to a holding phase for a few weeks, psychologically, they get the break. 
Um, and it does everything they need it to do to just get back into a growing phase without having to take the time away from that growing phase into a fat loss phase. So sometimes that might be the choice. And I think that's the emotional choice of like, I can't stand the off season anymore. I'm just gonna do a fat loss phase. Um, but if you still have like runway body fat wise, you're, you're, you know, you can, you still have no reason why you can't keep growing. Then it, that might all, all the phase that needs, needs to happen before you've been doing the mini cut. I think it, I, I think it also shows the client, it pulls them away from like the black and white, the yin and yang of like, I'm, I'm in season, I'm off season, you know, it pulls them into like, Hey, we're going to create some distance and some space where you're still living the lifestyle and you're still checking all the boxes, but there isn't this urgency. And like, like you've said, emotional attachment to like identifying as I'm in prep because this is something, this is something I am currently going through this like phase of like, you need to give your best and you need to be okay. Like prep's not starting next month. Like it's going to, this phase is productive. It's going to result in a better prep because it is working. It's working on the intrinsic, um, obstacles where you think, okay, Hey, I, I have to be in or out. I'm, I'm either all in. And, and that's something I think, especially for female athletes, like we need to normalize, but also get, get more comfortable not thinking, you know, okay, like I'm, I'm committed or I'm not committed. I'm off track. Like that whole, like I'm off track. Like it, it shouldn't be such a huge fluctuation in what that actually looks like for execution. It should look a little closer to what, what we do, nor what we do in a contest prep, just not as extreme. That makes sense. Yeah, I know we, you know, you'll like this because in the female module, we, I struck, I, I didn't call it off season because there's a lecture on off season, right? I was like, I don't know if I want to call it off season because that's not the idea behind it. But I also don't want to call it improvement season because that's like, I don't know. It seems like what people that get like just into this, like everyone identifies, we clearly know what off season is, but we know it's not off, right? So I called it off season. Uh, then the phases of muscle muscle growth. That's really what it is. Um, there's phases to muscle growth in the off season. Some of those will be times when we're raising calories and actively pursuing growth. There's going to be phases of maintenance and muscle growth. And so it's, it's kind of multiphasic in that sense, not just nonstop growth, but also it doesn't mean off from everything that we do in, in prep. So I don't know. That's how we kind of set that up. So I, I think we, uh, I think we gave some good framework and context around that. So, yeah, I hope, I hope people liked that one, but you know, these, I, I, I've gotten really good feedback. I'm, I know you have too. So, I mean, if, um, if listeners really like these episodes, these coaches corner, I mean, send John your questions. Cause we're, we're, we like doing them and, uh, <laughs> um just blew up my dms yeah but really if, yeah. if you have a question you can dm me i'll do my best to look at it we can throw it up into the coach's corner or i'll just answer it for you in the dm <laughs> so <laughs> if uh, anyone's interested in coaching services just go to our j3u uh coaching site and li our link is in our bios to you off instagram and you can send in an inquiry and be happy to get rolling with coaching. So 
with all that being said, thanks everybody for tuning in. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you next time.